0: This week on Let's
1: Dig go, Bobby.
2: Me Out,
3: with your hosts Jason Zia and room. Tim Minichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Just like Chris Thacker who joins us, already hopped on the message board. Mr. George Hamilton the 3rd. Welcome. That's his, That's his uh his avatar, his moniker, his uh Elias. <laughs> that's, cool. that's a quality avatar. It is. Uh, for this one, we it's all up to the the patrons on this one. We put it out there. We wanted to do a roundtable. We didn't have any ideas. Tapped out. Uh, and we said, give us some ideas. Tell us what, uh, what do you want to hear. And the overwhelming majority of two said guilty pleasures of the 90s, which means we're going to have to actually define what it means to be a guilty pleasure or to have a guilty pleasure if there are still guilty pleasures. Yes, uh, like I think now, I don't know that maybe music has guilty pleasures. I think maybe like real housewives of Atlanta might be a guilty pleasure,
3: yeah, but I, I don't know
2: that like listening to pop music is a guilty pleasure,
4: yeah, there's something about aging and music just becomes less uh I don't know it just seems more open, whereas television is still very i don't know judgy
2: you give up the fight, <laughs> you just get you just go whatever yeah. Uh, But there were definitely some some things that uh, I listened to in the 90s that maybe if I had been more honest with the people around me, they would have looked at me sideways um, and not uh, and not let me play in the rock band with them. Uh, So we'll see what happens here now that I'll confess these things uh, 20 or 30 years later. Well, we couldn't do this on our own, Jay. Uh, It's a round table. Of course, we have to have a group of people joining us from the community. And uh, doing so for this week, all returning champions from uh, this. Well, this is actually, uh, we got two returning champions, Phil Fleming. Welcome back, Phil. Hello. And Marissa Buxbaum, who has been here for, they've both been here for roundtables and albums. Tara McCook, you've never been here for a roundtable, have you?
0: I don't think so. I think this is my first roundtable. Very exciting.
2: Nice. We're, we're ripping off the bandage of round tables for you. So... Guilty pleasures. How are we going to define this? I think that's the, I I actually (laughs) had to go to like Wikipedia and like, what's a guilty pleasure Wikipedia? Can you please explain it to me? Um, And started reading some articles about like, there's like some really harsh interpretations of a guilty pleasure, like something that you're actually ashamed of and Mm. that you feel like embarrassed that you're listening to it. And then some of them were like, well, it's an artist that has, become uh fallen out of public favor <clears throat> morrissey and you still like to listen to the music yeah um, and then there's also the you were a hardcore kid listening to fugazi and minor threat and nation of ulysses but then you also like to bop along to hansen every once in a while right uh, so th- there's all sorts of like interpretations of of what a guilty pleasure is so i want to get everybody's Sort of thoughts on that, Jay. What do you think? What's a guilty well, pleasure?
4: Even in the ones, the examples you shared, there's a common theme of, of shame. There now, how extreme the shame might be, I think is up to each of us to decide um, what, what we then consider guilty. So I, I have like like three buckets I've, I thought through. One would three be buckets like, of shame. Yeah, <laughs> that like seem a little awkward now, and I'm still coming to terms with like whether I should be ashamed of them or not. Like when I think back, I'm like, oh yeah, I spent some time listening to this or that. That was weird. Um, Then there's the, definitely we had some embarrassment at the time, meaning like I had a, there were some subset of friends I had that I wouldn't feel comfortable telling them that I listened to the record or like, like the song. And then the third was more just, you know, pop songs that I guess I wouldn't turn off. (laughs) <laughs> um, or I would, you know, enjoy when they came on, um, but would probably never admit it to, to most of my my friends. Okay,
2: all right. I think that covers a lot in the spectrum of shame. Let's let's ask our guests here, Marissa. I'm gonna start with you. What would be some of your definitions of a, what a guilty pleasure is? Um, your shame that's, buckets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's tough because I feel like it's um there are a variety of sources of guilt. And um, I think there's like, there, there's the uh, the endogenous sort of self-imposed um, failure to live up to your own standards. Um, there's external guilt where you'd like, you'd be embarrassed. There's the shame factor. Would you really want to disclose that you love Matchbox 20 or the Goo Goo Dolls or Vertical Horizon to one of your friends? Um, and I think sort of a combination of the two would be the incongruity factor like you're you're listening to something that's totally at odds with um your typical fare if you self-identify as an alternative rock fan and you're listening to spice which is i think the debut album by the spice girls did i get that name right yes Um, yeah you know just the the disconnect there between how you present yourself how you think of yourself and um yeah getting a like a lot out of larger than life by the backstreet boys or something like that. So um I I think that in terms of um like like guilt is a real sincere like oh boy I feel bad about listening to this it, that's more along the order of something like yeah Marilyn Manson or Morrissey or artists who have fallen into disgrace as a result of um, their, their distasteful actions. But I, when I thought of like guilty pleasure, when the, the actual subject was pitched for the round table, the, um, oh shit. I listened to chick music was like the, that was my knee jerk. You know, the The WPLJ adult contemporary alternative rock with, uh, extreme scare quotes attached from like the late nineties, which was when, I was listening uh, to the radio and starting to develop my own music taste. So I have a soft spot for, for that kind of stuff.
2: Well, I I do want to touch on a couple of things you said. I think that there is an unfair targeting of pop music, which tends to be predominantly female dominated in a lot of ways that becomes like a sort of, Uh, self-fulfilling you know this if it's made by a pop female it's not worthy of serious consideration it makes it a guilty pleasure but
1: right like why why is a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton like a you know why 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 would I seize up and cringe and and, and admitting to still thinking that song slaps Um, and it does it's a really well-written great song it's a it's like a flawless composition but it it would be the butt of a joke i think um in some alternative circles
2: right and then i also there was another thing you mentioned you mentioned larger than life by the backstreet boys i saw a band that i really like and jay you did too czar they did a cover of larger than life power pop band from the early 2000s live my
1: favorites yeah
2: and it was a really good cover, and I would never have thought, like, "Oh, I like this song because it's the Backstreet Boys," and I don't like the Backstreet Boys. But when they covered it, I went, "This is a good cover. It sounds like a glam rock song." Now, do I like the Backstreet Boys? Is that what's ha- is that what's happening here?
1: Maybe it's possible. And hey, you know, if, if the if the composition itself is solid, sometimes it's just a matter of the marketing that's attached.
2: Right. Good point,
1: or, or the okay. instrumentation. You know, I I totally get why a, a power pop cover of Larger Than Life would sell to the the dig me out demographic, whereas the uh, the original might not pass the spell test.
2: Yes,
4: I'm just having a good time thinking of Tim's inner dialogue of wondering if the <laughs> <was> extra <laughs> bands.
2: Well, Am I. I- I don't want to get too too off topic to start with, but it's it made me think about that era. And there was all of those power pop bands like SR-71 and uh, they they seem to come out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, like there were these big guitar power pop bands and they were on the edge of like pop punk. Yeah. But I realized like, well, if you just dial down the guitars, these are boy band songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is not really like the hooks are there. But I didn't realize it at the time what was going on. Yeah, I just, just put put down the guitars and do some choreography. <laughs> More or
4: less, exactly. If you
1: can pop and lock, there you go. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: hard to do with a guitar. Terrible. Well, they tried. <laughs> Let me ask you, Terrell. Anybody? What's your uh, right. what is your guilty pleasure definition?
0: So first I love this question because the lawyer over here is going through like, what's your definite, it it depends on what is means. Right. You know, but I think the common theme about this guilty pleasure thing is that it's really contextual. It really depends on what your in group is and what your out group is. Like I spent the nineties. So I started the nineties in a majority black middle school and I finished the nineties in basically an all white college and the definition of guilty pleasure in that continuum, shifted radically depending on where we were. I was in middle school when the chronic hit, so middle school was all about rap, R and B, hip hop, and you were a guilty pleasure, like kind of out group person if you were really into rock. And then it flipped on a dime when I went into high school and I was in more, you know, less integrated environments, and then rock took back over. And then there was also the theme of I was a dance kid and my dad was a rock musician, so I had all kinds of stuff going on. So my definition of guilty pleasure is almost there kind of isn't one, but I think it really does matter about what your context is versus the people you want to be in with versus the people you want to be out with. And like Marissa said, and like y'all teased out, I think that there are sociological ramifications to who gets to be in and who gets to be out. And a lot of people who get to be pigeonholed into that guilty pleasure tend to be women, tend to be LGBT tend to be minorities and there's also that thread that we get to play with too so you could go i mean there's probably good dissertations on this somewhere i would guess but that's kind of my
2: Tim,
4: I'm, I'm hearing another book
2: well hey <laughs> i've pretty much written a book about guilty pleasures uh you know when you consider power where power ballads are in in the uh yeah. pop culture continuum of seriousness you just that's just the start i know <laughs>
4: There's a whole series here. The guilty pleasure series. Yeah, it's like I'll be the thirty-three and a third, but guilty
2: pleasures. There you go, Phil. Yes. What? What? What are your thoughts on the discourse surrounding guilty pleasures? All right.
3: Well, it, I, judging from from what Marissa and Tara both have both said, I am considerably older than they are. Um, But. I had long since gotten over the idea of a guilty pleasure. Um, But I also got over it pretty young as well. Cause it just, one of those things that I just noticed right away as, as more like more likely when I went from middle school to high school. Now I was graduating high school when the chronic hit. And so, and so that like, and and i was in a i was in a 99.6% white high school um two asian students no no black students in the entire school not nothing like that um and everything was basically dictated by what mainstream radio was playing them. Or a combination of mainstream radio and MTV. And right around that, it was right around that time, 91, 92, I graduated in 93, when all of these things were mixing together. So it was kind of strange how no one, no one really felt guilty about liking a certain thing, but nobody scoffed at it if they didn't. Um, so I, I had to put my, my thoughts into a context going further along, going into college where people were definitely more into hip hop and I was definitely not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And for, for me, it was more continuing to follow specific artists going into Going, sorry, going as along the 90s rather than just adopting whatever new thing came around.
2: Well, it's interesting that the chronic has been brought up because I feel like that is a delineation point for hip hop in terms of I was listening to hip hop as far back as like Run DMC in the in the 80s and anything that was on the radio, like the Fat Boys and what have you, Tone Loke. Uh, that kind of stuff, up until like the Fresh Prince, MC Hammer, those sorts of things, and then as soon as the Chronic hit, because that was such a huge mainstream hit, as opposed to say NWA, which was still sort of like underground for most people. Like people only heard of it in terms of controversy, the same way they heard of like Two Life Crew in terms of controversy, not that they'd actually heard the records. Well, but the because, Chronic
3: up, up until the Chronic, the only the only. Hip hop artist that was really taken seriously was Public Enemy,
2: right? And there, and that wasn't something like to me. Like the Chronic is basically hip hop's never mind. In a lot of, in terms of breaking through to the mainstream and like re, yeah. relaunching hip hop for white suburban teenagers, which was the, where the how it basically becomes the probably the most dominant after alternative rock, but even taking over alternative rock by the end of the decade. Oh yeah. Um, but I just remember st- still feeling like I, I, there was a bit of embarrassment. Cause like, am I still allowed to like MC hammer now? Like mm-hmm. it, it is or is that and now, is that become my guilty pleasure that I still listen to the, the cheesy hip hop, the, the, you know, the more the basic hip hop. Yeah. Right. Of, of that stuff. I was never into, um, you know, vanilla ice, but I listened to third base, uh, and
0: <laughs> nice. And, and,
2: and that kind of, stuff. and that continued on. Whereas I had a lot of friends who listened to stuff that was very much in the same, uh, vein of, as the chronic. And I liked the chronic and, and, and doggy style and stuff like that. But then when things happen, like come and ride that train and all those like Miami bass
3: <laughs> dance
2: club songs, even though, and Jay will attest to this, I was not someone to hang out at the dance club in Bowling Green. Uh, that was not <laughs> my scene, but I liked all that music. I have those 12 inches, but it was never something I would ever feel comfortable like busting out <laughs> to, to like with Jay. I would go to Jay like, hey, let's listen to the 69 boys, Jay. He he would have punched me in the face. Uh there was And that's someone- so
0: funny. That's so funny that you say that because all of the stuff that I was going through in the nineties was happening on the Alabama Gulf coast and that Miami based like Southern sound that, that had that between that and no limit. And what was coming out of Atlanta yep. was mainstream where we were. Right. So nobody had guilty pleasure around stuff like that. And I think that points out an interesting definition about the nineties twist on guilty pleasure Right. is that the nineties were probably that last gasp of regionalized guilty pleasures.
2: Yeah, that's true. Because by the time the 2000s hit, uh Atlanta hip hop is basically dominant. You know, with outcast yep. and and so many artists and it's not a regional thing and it's not it's yeah, it's much different in terms of uh as Jones
0: likes to say. Yeah as Bumani Jones likes to say the South won. Although and he sold merch to that effect which I could never buy as a you know, Southern white woman that would not that, that, that connotes something different if, yeah. if I were to say it
2: yeah. um, so let's talk about I've already divulged a few things here so maybe we could go around the room Jay you said you have some shame buckets uh, what what would be in your what in those different shame buckets what would what would you be give an example of something that you maybe and this doesn't necessarily be, have to be something that you still consider a guilty pleasure but in the 90s you did that you hid from me in the (laughs) nineties or if you want to talk about now still that
4: no 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 i think the ones in the nine yeah no because they're different buckets in the nineties um so in the eighties i was very into as you know uh pop metal and hair metal i half of my brain is probably consumed with those records and trivia about
2: those bands so and their lyrics and lineups yes
4: so transitioning into the nineties i you know kept up with many of those bands um as until they expired um by you know mid 90s most for most of them so i have quite a few in that early like i would say probably 91 to like 95 range where um it started to become obvious like okay these bands aren't cool anymore and i started feeling weird about like well i'm still listening to this record and i kind of like it but like Am I allowed, can I? T- who, I started to think about like who can I tell that I'm listening to this to? Who's going to like judge me and be like think it's weird or think I'm you know lame for liking it? So I remember you know that transition happening while I was still listening to new music too. So some examples of that would be Bon Jovi's "Keep the Faith," um, which might be the last good record they ever made. Um, Poison, Native Tongue, um, Warrant, "Doggy Dog," and Ultrophobic um, yes. Here's one that fits, I think, both categories. Damn Yankees. So you've mm-hmm. got the, yep. you know, Don't Tread is your, what, ninety three ish. You know, so that sound is is not popular. And now you've got the whole Ted Nugent thing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's a double have whammy.
4: To, have to kind of deal with. <laughs> Which at the time we were like, wow, this guy's really eccentric. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable listening to this music anymore. Um, you know, so it's, the, I think it's the ones that, you know, we're really pushing the, the later edge, um, great white sail away, which is like probably not even an album, great white fans like, but I listened to it a ton and I think, I think I still like it. I've listened to it in a while.
3: Um, it's their acoustic record.
4: Yep. So, you know, a lot of stuff like that. I really got into at the time too, dream theater, which was the most uncool thing you could do. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You're thinking about it, you know, progressive rock, you know, it's still, you know, visually still essentially pop or glam metal.
2: Yeah, but progressive rock's just never cool in the same way that like Rush was never cool. But there were still a legion of fans that were totally cool with not being cool.
4: Yes. So that it was a little, you know, it was on that. It was the first time I had sort of stepped into that world fully like, oh, this is a whole world where there's like no judgment and you can just like these bands and they will always just be prog rock bands right but to people outside of that circle it was very uncool um so those are some examples there's a long list of here of of other albums like that but those are the ones that kind of popped where it was okay clearly on the other side and not cool um but i still spent a good time uh, a good amount of time listening to them and and enjoying them
2: where does your love of the crash test dummies uh fit in
4: (laughs) so that's in the awkward now and a lot of these (laughs) A lot of these, I honestly have not listened, gone back and listened to um, in a long, long time. Uh, and some of them fall into that weird, like, do I do I feel weird about these because they're female artists? Like Joan Osborne and Sarah McLachlan were two that I listened to quite oh, a bit. Oh, you
2: can't mess with Sarah McLachlan. And I'm like, no,
4: I don't. Is that okay? I don't know. but I still enjoy that now? I don't know. I haven't listened to it in a while. Um, the first Dave Matthews Band. Wait, what?
0: Yay.
4: Because when I've heard the first single, to me, it just sounded like classic rock. Like, I didn't. What was the first single? What would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have all the. It didn't go down the jam band route yet. And it didn't get to, I don't know, whatever they became. It still had like an edge to me. As I heard more of it, I was like, oh, okay, this isn't really my thing. But like, I, I enjoyed that song and got into that first record.
2: You killed Tim. What? Yeah. I didn't know this. We always My made fun other of choice. Dave Matthews. Wait a minute. We used to make fun at Dave, Ma- Dave Matthews at band practice for years. Yes. and yes, be- it, the-
4: it became something else. I'm <laughs> saying the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I bought the CD and I listened to it and I liked it. And then as I heard more, I was like, I don't really like this.
2: You son of a bitch.
1: I love that we get to be party to this, that like Jay just, you know, throws the grenade and walks away with it exploding <laughs> in the background and, and, and Tim's in the background trying to figure out. <laughs> How this happened?
2: I
4: think we'll pulling be the the, pulling again.
2: the knife from my chest or back. <laughs> Better wow. have it. My uh. other
0: option for for like getting in the mood for this was to pull my Dave Matthews. Could I have been anyone other than me? T-shirt out that I actually just bought <laughs> another version of very recently. So I want to address your t-shirt, Dave Matthews.
2: I want to I want to address your t-shirt because it did come up in the comments. Yes. Um, uh, Scott said Scott Holgrom said Cracked Rear View is a damn fine record overplayed Thank you Yeah a bit vapid sure still a fun listen I will agree I think the songs are are well written that were the singles I I don't think I've ever listened to the record all the way through but I've heard the singles um I would I would say there's like you know th- still three three songs that I would not turn off the radio if they came on, you also mentioned Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran,
0: which. Uh, nice.
2: <laughs> which I don't know. Right place, right time. That's you can still <laughs> listen to that song. <laughs> what would consider, that right place
4: and time be? When you're driving it on the
2: highway. Uh, okay. Considering
3: <laughs> the last 15 years, it's been covered at least four times by country artists. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Right. I in the exact same arrangement. Mm-hmm. Like, now they we, don't add any steel guitars, they don't add it, nope. they don't like push acoustics, nothing. It's the same arrangement, they and it's and now it's a country song.
4: They just sing with that weird country accents
3: twang thing. No, not even that. <laughs> not even that.
0: Covers that are very, very loyal to how they sound, along with. Playing the song exactly the same way live as it is on the record is very much a country thing. My husband is very into country music because his family's from <laughs> North Alabama. And if you ever hear a George Strait live record, you should check and make sure you're not looking at a studio album because that's that's a thing. But yeah, um, and also Tom Cochran, the, art, the original Life as a Highway Artist, is something of a Canadian songwriting legend. I have yeah. Canadian buddies who were like, "That guy's a genius," and I was like, "Oh wow, we must have missed something."
3: Well, the, I mean, it got it it got overplayed to death. Yeah, for that, the and, year, it seemed like it was out for a good year, like saturation airplay for a year. But that
4: could I mean, be another roundtable of like weird songs you did not expect to be hits that ended up being yeah. hits. And you're yes. like, "Where did this guy come from? How did this
3: happen?" Yeah. Well, no, yeah, but uh, it it is it, it. I I said it back then. It actually is quite a well written song. I just it just got to saturation airplay, where you just did you just wished it would go away so right. you could miss it.
2: Yeah, let's get um, into some of the comments, and we can we can comment on the comments from from Patreon. Uh, we just had Scott's comments. Richard Waterman said. Let me give you some of the guiltiest of the guilty. We can debate these. So, Boys to Men two. <sighs> I, I've come around. Great, place, I've, great time. I've come great back around on time. Boys to Men. Um, I think that this is pop documentary series that delved that, into that, different that aspects. Was a, was a good one. That was a good. That one. was the best episode of the whole series, I think. And I, I, I don't think know. it.
3: I like the Auto Tune episode.
2: Well, that was really good. I think I was I was a little burnt out because I'd also watched the Auto Tune episode with the Mark Ronson documentary. Okay. Um, so I was burnt on uh, on Auto Tune, but <laughs> it is very good. But Boys to Men were really like groundbreaking in terms of what they did, and then were just almost immediately shuffled to the side as soon as all their hits were used up. Um, it was amazing how fast they fell from like. Twenty thousand to two hundred seats, in in the span of like a year. Um, he also mentions Wilson Phillips' "Shadows and Light." I don't, I don't. That must be like after the debut, the I don't second know. record, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wet, wet, wet. Love is all around. I don't know that band. That that's
3: they they were mostly a UK thing.
2: Okay, Vanilla Ice. Hard to swallow. Is that Back. his new metal? Yes, oh, yeah,
3: man. that was his
2: 1999 new metal record. Oh
0: goodness,
4: that's so guilty. You should be
2: arrested. I mean, I don't know that I've ever listened to it. I think maybe MTV like did a spot on it or something like that. But uh, is that a guilty pleasure or is that just like you like it because it's so bad? <laughs> I don't. I don't know where that. I don't know where that falls. He says, and the Blowfish" is Fairweather Johnson.
1: I like that record. Okay, <laughs> you can come full circle. I mean, I, I realized, and this is this has happened to me with the Goo Goo Dolls, where you your your fixation on your own mortification just kind of you maybe it's a psychological coping mechanism. You know, you you come all the way back around and you, you take ownership of it and you you feel the need to reclaim it and defend it and argue in favor of its you know actual legitimacy.
2: Huh, okay. Which is
1: how I feel about the Goo Goo Dolls being classified as like corny post-grunge replacements for girls. That's why it's good.
2: <laughs> I hear you on that. He also mentions Crazy Town's The Gift of the Game. That's the one that has the butterfly. Butterfly,
0: oh my <sighs> God. Now it's going to be stuck in all of our heads forever. Oh my I was in college for that song and yeah, I'm still, I still haven't forgiven them from the overplaying.
2: Yeah. Um, and then of course, Billy Ido's cyberpunk. Uh, he mentioned that one. <laughs> uh, Paul Richardson mentioned the Spice Girls spice. Uh, he says deserves consideration for the awesomeness that it is. And then Keith Badge, she really, he teed it up here. Celine Dion, it's all coming back to me now. I justify this by saying I like Jim Steinman, not Celine Dion, but yeah. I really just like the drama.
1: Oh man, I would take that to my grave. That's not even like a guilty pleasure that I would divulge.
2: Um, so he mentioned some country stuff here. Billy Ray Cyrus's achy breaky heart Brooks and Dunn boot scoot boogie. Oh, yep. oh, oh, this is hurting me. Well, so I gotta, I gotta mention this here. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, Jay. Uh Oh, so I, Gonna, in the mid 90s, I, I went to a Toledo honky tonk. Which is not Wait, a sentence. Let's,
4: pa- let's pause on that. Toledo. <laughs> Toledo. <laughs> this honky is tonk. this
1: is payback, Jay. This is this is payback. Yes,
4: seriously. payback. I mean, there's <laughs> the nothing less honky tonk than Toledo.
2: <laughs> well, you would think so. Please continue. So, of course, it was about a girl. Uh, I was I was in a class. Uh, it was a girl. She was bringing. She was had a friend coming up from Atlanta. Sorry, Macon, <laughs> coming up from oh, Macon, wow. Georgia. Georgia. And they wanted to go hear some country music. And uh, my friend was like, "Well, I know there's a, there's a honky tonk in Toledo." So we go and we line danced. Nice. <laughs> so boot scoop boogie and and what was the um the big Garth Brooks. Friends in Low Places. Friends in Low pra- Low price So yeah. here's the thing. I kind of liked that Garth Brooks album. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, the Thunder Rolls, that's a really good song. You're giving me a hard time over Dave Matthews? <laughs> hey, the man sold like 100 million records. I, I, I'm in good company here. Now, so I so did Dave Matthews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Y'all, wow. Garth has had, well, Garth has come around to become a beloved American legend at right. this point. Like, we are in like Garth's second imperial period. The now he's like everyone's crazy <laughs> uncle, and we all like have that kind of soft sentimental place in our heart. Right. Form. And side note, like half my dad's family lives in Macon. And yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. I wonder if Garth Brooks fans
1: have the Chris Gaines thing as their guilty pleasure.
4: Yeah. I was waiting for somebody to bring
3: that one up.
0: Yes. Yes, yeah. they do. See, also my husband.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, and Keith he also, only got it because it was Garth Brooks, not because it was good.
0: There was an element of okay, this is so crazy, it might just work in some of our exploration <laughs> of that, and mm, it didn't.
2: <laughs> right. Um, Keith also mentioned Janet Jackson's again. I don't feel like any Janet Jackson should be considered a guilty pleasure. Um in the same way that, like, no Madonna should be considered a guilty pleasure or... No, no,
3: no only, only, it would only be a guilty pleasure if their usual fare is things like Marilyn Manson
2: or thrash sure. metal. Okay. Stuff that or we get to like out down the
1: hot topic.
2: Yeah. Right. Like, I have, I've expressed, that I have a deep appreciation for Mariah Carey. Jay, I don't know if you know that or not. But yeah, my my way. appreciation for I mean that goes back to Vision of Love. I mean, like I heard that single and I was like, <laughs> I'm on board with whatever this woman does because her voice is amazing. It's got that seven octave range or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, they, so, oh, I just remember that being hyped to the
3: gills, and it mm-hmm. it took it took a good you know 25 years for me to appreciate that first record. Because like nobody nobody knew who she was. She was writing these, she was writing these very those song, those songs on the first album were very well, well written, mm-hmm. well composed and everything. And I I mean, definitely was not in my wheelhouse at all. Cause I cause when when an when an album is, you know, 70% ballads, I tune out. Um but those songs were really well written. It's just a shame that everything, literally everything after that was chasing one trend after another. That's the only thing that's that's the biggest thing that's disappointed me about Mariah
2: Carey. There, yeah. Well, it's-
0: and there's also the argument about, so so Mariah Carey was my first favorite artist because I was 10 when that record came out. So <laughs> bang, wheelhouse, right? And It starts getting into, I think, another piece of these guilty pleasure songs that might be fun to tease out is the people who were doing their own art and the people who were like in the Diane Warren, Tommy Mottola, like factory of that kind of pop song. Because when Mariah Carey changed her sound in the late 90s, it was when she divorced Tommy Mottola, who was the president of her record label and -hmm. started doing started chasing the material she actually wanted Right. write she always wrote her own songs or wrote or co-wrote her own songs yeah. but that's when she started doing like they you know here we go again with more of the sociology when they stopped trying you know when they stopped trying to repress her innate connections to r&b and her innate connection to her heritage her multiracial heritage and stopped trying to make her like the pop song girl you know and it's Like, we probably have to talk about Diane Warren at least once in this guilty pleasures thing from the songwriting Mm. perspective of a lot of those, like, big cheesy ballads came out of factories. See, also, I don't want to miss a thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, like, there's a whole thing about authenticity and what authenticity means in this that I think we get into as well. And also who gets to be authentic.
2: Well, and and, uh, Keith mentioned some pop, like straight up pop, like Aqua's Barbie Girl, (laughs) um, Eiffel 65's Blue.
1: Yeah, this is is all stuff that I associate very strongly with my childhood. And I came of age in that very weird late 90s transitional period where you had Mm -hmm. the defanging of grunge, the injection of the pop star preening the gloss, uh, which is how you get somebody like Rob Thomas or the Johnny Resnicks or uh, the um, like live, I would loop into that vertical horizon, certainly. Um, So you had that, that, uh, that steering toward hyper palatability of this once transgressive kind of rock music and at the same time, there's the, uh, the, the boy band renaissance, the, the pop star renaissance. So I, I think it is, I might still have a copy of it in storage somewhere. The very first, now that's what I call music. You have like Flagpole Sitta, you have The Way by Fastball, you also have Barbie Girl. Uh, I think there was a Radiohead song on there. It, it was such a bizarre time for popular music. And so I think that's, at least personally speaking, that's how I have, I think, kind of the weird combination of, of taste in guitar music as well as as pop music that I do, because it all just hit me at a very formative point in my life. And um, yeah, when I hear like Edwin McCain at, at, at the grocery store, um, I'm embarrassed that I that I enjoy it as much as I do, but I can't help but enjoy it
2: pushing your cart getting your groceries humming along to edwin McCain. y'all
0: the, the, the you're on to something this is amazing um as long as you love me by the backstreet voice sits next to the waist sits next to flagpole sit up um anytime by Brian McKnight which is like at least 10 of my friends breakup songs um okay. i will buy you in a new life fly away by lenny Kravitz and karma police and barbie that was it <laughs> like, that was the Radiohead everywhere. song like How do you, okay, whoever, I'm I'm pretty sure, if memory
1: serves, that track listing has Karma Police and Barbie Girl one after the other. Back to back, yes.
2: That's insane.
1: Galaxy brained.
2: That's the most bizarre one-two punch I've ever heard of.
0: And that's why I struggled actually identifying things that I considered guilty pleasures from the 90s, is because that end of the 90s was such, like, just... I mean, eclectic doesn't even do it justice. Everything was everywhere for like eighteen months, and it was all like mainstreamed. So it was like right, there was now, a lot going on.
3: Now you can say the exact same thing for in my case in nineteen ninety one. Same thing, yeah. dance pop with the with the rise with the rise of of alternative rock and grunge all the all all in the middle with with the last the last like 12 18 months of hair metal there were a lot of power ballads, in, and that which, which which really. resulted in a whole lot yeah. of power ballads. yeah,
1: yeah um, and the hair metal thing like when I I was struggling to come up with a guilty pleasure where like I really had this visceral cringe response to my own enjoyment of it. And it was lit up by Buck Cherry. That, that is, that is a song that like nothing would give me greater pleasure than, than to belt that at karaoke. And in the morning I would, I would be going back <laughs> to evaluate my karmic debt to the universe, but it's, it's there. so great. You know, I'm on a plane with cocaine. It's <laughs> brilliant.
3: If if I could get my voice that high, I would totally do it at karaoke. <laughs> Next time I you're in New York, I'll joking. make you do
1: it, regardless of whether or not you have the range for it.
2: <laughs> I'll blow up my voice. I don't care. You know, what's <laughs> funny is that when that album came out, it wasn't as obvious how ridiculous that band was going to be. Like, yeah, it was 99. just like... It was just sort of like, wow, this is like Aerosmith, but like as a punk band. You know, Josh, Josh, Todd had that
3: in Aerosmith throwback type thing. Yeah,
2: it, it had like a seventies Aerosmith vibe to it, but with more edge. And well, then,
3: well, the, well, the well, the being allowed to use profanity in the lyrics probably helped.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> it gave them it gave them like a a calling card essentially for. Uh, for some of those, you know, articles and oh, this is the band we can't play the chorus and that kind of stuff. Um, some of the other ones that got mentioned, and I I feel like uh there's a reason for is uh Casey and Jojo's All My Life. Oh my <laughs> lord.
0: That's pretty good. I like that. Oh goodness.
2: Next, too close. I don't know.
0: <gasps> oh, that song's abhorrent. <laughs>
2: what is what is that?
0: It came out it in us? that late '90s. Uh, I will not sing it. It's abhorrent, but it's that late '90s, like kind of R&B pop thing and slow the jam song. Yeah, the entire plot slow line. Slow jam. Of the song think of, think dude, of KC
3: and JoJo's All My Life.
0: Yeah, but the dude is <laughs> singing to a girl about how he likes her and thinks she's attractive, and she calls out his how do I say this gently um, physical manifestation of how he finds her attractive. It's a that boner was song. I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> I was working really hard on that. I feel so like, a lot, just, of, I, like I,
2: a lot of like a lot of like 90s R&B, uh, the Color Me Bad, the Silk, the, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff was, again, sort of uh, not not appreciated uh, by because it wasn't as serious as uh and it but I think oh, a lot no, of I th- I thought it was honestly like dead serious. No no I mean serious like like Pearl Jam was serious. They were you know Eddie Vedder oh, no, was a they, serious they, person.
3: No, Whereas, I, I seriously I honestly think that it was almost the reason why they started performing was to get chicks. Mm-hmm. I believe that's all they, all they wrote about. And that's all you heard from them. And, you know, and a couple of, and maybe a couple of those songs actually, you know, caught fire, but they, they were deadly serious on that was their mission statement as, as then whenever, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry.
0: And then whenever one of them got over, You'd see 25 others come running after. So, like yes. when Color Me Bad popped, right? Uh, that's With like that, 91. Right? Yeah. Then came like Rhythm Syndicate, like yes. another, like, let's get a like four or five guys in big baggy suits to sing. And I remember that rhythm syndicate was the one that came to the Mobile Alabama Greater Gulf State Fair. And that's the one we got to go see. And you could even just sort of tell it was like the third or fourth generation mixtape, you know, when you tape over it and tape over it and tape over <laughs> it again, like that's kind of where we'd gotten to on some of that. So part of that, th- that whole oversaturation deal was even if the first one was pretty good. And like, if you're into vocal music, color me bad, wasn't bad. Their material. No, no, busted, they, no, they, they sang weren't beautifully.
3: But, but the, their, their mission statement
2: was to get women. Well, they right. wanted to sex them up. Right. No, I think Precisely. that was the mission statement. Right. That was the that was the mission statement. <laughs> that was the mission statement. <laughs> we exist I, I, I to sexualize. The they they put it in the they put it in the chorus, and and it's <laughs> right. the title of the song. I mean, we know what they want. I I think what it was is that, at least for from from my perspective, I didn't have a really strong understanding of the history of like R and B music at that point. You know, I was twenty years old, or twenty, not even. 20, I was like eighteen years old, hearing some of this stuff. And I had never listened to, like, Barry White or Gerald Levert or that kind of stuff from the 70s or the 80s. So to me, it was just like, what is this? This is rocking my Catholic brain. Like, uh-huh. you're not supposed to be singing like this. Like, in some ways, it was more subversive than, like, what uh, what Two Life Crew was doing because the Two Life Crew was so blatantly abs- absurd, when, when
3: you're When you're decorating... It, it, that's basically it. When you're decorating a two live crew song, that's when you're getting things like Casey and JoJo's "All My mm-hmm. Love," and I adore Mia more. You
1: mm-hmm. know,
3: and I mean that that that's that's it's it's like watching a PG thirteen movie where you know it's mm-hmm.
2: supposed to be rated R, where they're allowed one f bomb. Right. right. <laughs> um Jeff Gentis had an interesting uh interpretation he says I'm a stickler For the literal meaning, you should feel guilty rather than merely embarrassed or corny or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I still love the Smiths and Morrissey's early solo work, even though he's a hypocritical second-generation immigrant and Islamophobe. It doesn't even fall under separate the artist from the art either. You can feel guilty about liking misogynistic or homophobic art like most Death Row productions. You should never feel guilty about liking what is merely well-crafted pop. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, to quote a song.
1: <laughs> Cute, nice. love the Sheryl Crow reference. <clears throat> but um, I you know that that's interesting because I I agree and I don't. Um, on the one hand, maybe I'm just Jewish, you know, and I think that guilt is a constructive emotion that more of us should should get better at uh, at fostering.
2: As a former um, Catholic, I agree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. At at the same time, though, um, I like I love Marilyn Manson's music. I I think he's um, a heinous, unforgivable human being whom I don't, you know, particularly want to support in any way uh, financially or, you know, going to his shows, um, you know, wearing a T-shirt, anything of that nature. At the same time, I feel like with music specifically, there is, a almost a collective ownership to music that reaches a certain number of people or reaches a, or a particular saturation, saturation point culturally, or, um, e- even just, you know, personally, when, when you grow up with something, uh, a, a song that comes to, uh, resonate with you in a particular way or becomes associated with your own emotional development. That is, that is something that's so distinct from the artist him or herself and their behavior. It, it, it becomes um, how you inhabit the narrative of the song, what it means for you, all the, all the memories that, that um, it brings up. And sometimes, yes, you know, you it, this is always a personal decision, right? That, or at least that's my my take on it. You may get to a point where you can no longer enjoy it, where those positive memories are overshadowed by, um, you know, the, the the knowledge that that the artist was a terrible person or, or a monster. Um, but I I just don't think that like that 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 specific kind of of guilt of like I I should really feel morally bad about this as as opposed to just ashamed. Um, I I, I never felt like that applied to my consumption of music.
0: Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that because I just had this conversation with my parents week before last and the two and the examples that came up were Eric Clapton and Van Morrison about all the COVID stuff and then Ryan Adams And Eric Clapton and Van Morrison were my stepmothers. Love, like love forever, but just hit the wall. Like there was like, that's the last straw I can't anymore. And the thing about Ryan Adams and me is that with with the art, you just hear, you know what he was writing about. And you know, like it's it's so intrinsically tied in in the art that you got to let it go. You know, and I haven't quite gotten there with the Smiths, mostly because you can find Johnny Marr covers of a lot of Smith songs. So you can yeah. kind of pull back and be like, oh, yes, Johnny Marr will sing me there as a light that never goes out. And that makes me feel better. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's a thing that and I think everybody's line is going to be a little bit different. But I do think there's a like a kind of a brick wall that somebody's heinousness can hit past which you just can't do it anymore.
3: I mean and let's face it a, a lot of a lot of these musician types especially I mean Eric Clapton everyone everyone knows he's was never a nice guy and so and so when when these things come hit now it's now it's political it's not just it's not just oh he's just a douchebag on the street now now he's you know actively endangering his audience um but i i'm always really good at separating artists from art and for me it's more it's more about films than music i mean cuz usually for in, let's use the smiths as as the case i was n- never really a fan of the smiths other than maybe a handful of songs okay i never i never liked morrissey as a personality and just all of this stuff has just driven it home. I mean, I honestly think thought he should have been canceled for, you know, disappointing his fans for the 90th time by canceling a tour.
1: Right. He's he's guilty of, of uh, a number of crimes. Um, and I think the first that we all became aware of was that he was just a, a an inveterate diva, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, And then it just got worse and worse and worse from there. Um, So, yeah, I I, and I don't you know, it's funny because like my I remember when I really felt like personally betrayed because, again, I I expected someone like Marilyn Manson to possibly turn out to be a shithead or.
3: I'm uh, honestly surprised it didn't happen sooner years ago.
1: Right. Or a Morrissey type. Right. The, the, the thing that, that, you know, I was like, oh, come on, was, um, is it Ian Brown who's the lead singer of the Stone Roses or was yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, really? Dude, you're, you're a COVID denialist? Fuck. That was when I yeah. felt, you know, terrible. And I will still listen to those albums because, again, for me, it hasn't hit what, you know, Tara called the brick wall yet. And I don't know, you know, when I'm going to encounter that with any given artist. But, um... I will be sure to let you all know who it is (laughs) when it
0: happens. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and like, it's easier now, you know, in the, we have the world's knowledge in our hand, literally, like I'm looking at my phone, holding the world's knowledge, talking to y'all right now. And 20 years ago, we didn't have that. So like that kind of calculus around the concept of actual, like philosophical moral guilt and guilty pleasure, I think is pretty new. I think yeah. we're all kind of still trying to negotiate oh, our relationship. Oh yeah, that's
3: the moral part of, of guilty pleasure. Oh yeah. That's yeah. definitely a new thing. Um I, I mean for, for me it was oh as far as music is concerned, because you know, this is a music podcast, um it was just always following following artists of a certain era into eras that they clearly were out of their depth oh yeah like like jay jay mentioned warrants uh ultraphobic and doggy dog those records are outstanding
1: that's interesting it's 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 sort of guilty pleasure as a function of your loyalty and and their um descent into becoming passe
3: mm-hmm. yeah oh
1: that's a really good way to put that
3: yeah it is. And, and I, I acknowledge that using that, that example for warrant, like by the time 1999 came around and they were, you know, basically twiddling their thumbs, waiting to get on a, get on some random, you know, nostalgia tour. Then yeah, they were, comp- they were very, very passe. But I just, I, just never understood why people would just drop them because they're not, they're not being spoon fed it on MTV anymore.
1: Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. It's like being fickle, you know? Oh, so now you're not going to like it anymore just because it isn't cool. And yeah. Maybe this right. is the power pop fan in me speaking. So to some <laughs> extent, you know, I take pride in this ele- element of my taste that is, um, like self-evidently retrograde, right? Like power pop, mm-hmm. not just in its instrumentation and the kind of, of, of music it's writing, but but the subject matter. You know, like she was just <laughs> 17, if you know what I mean, that that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know? So you, you can make the decision to embrace it um, and, and acknowledge what it is and, and its limitations and, and and its failings and loving it in spite of that. Or yeah, you can just I don't know, bury it and pretend
0: that you never had a kiss phase or whatever it was. <laughs> I spend I, my Saturday mornings um these days because, you know, there's not a lot going on anyways and now it's college football season so we have that on the background, but <laughs> there's a group of folks who grew up in the 70s who every Saturday morning at noon Eastern will live tweet whatever Casey Kasem American Top 40 is on the Sirius XM 70s channel and it is the most fun, pure fandom I have been part of in forever. Even though I am 15 to 20 years younger than everybody else in the hashtag, we all get on there and hashtag AT40. And it's like people just really, really excited about like, baby, i am a want you or whatever. And it is really refreshing because it is so uncool. Mm. Like nobody gives a damn about being cool. Nobody gives a damn about, oh, everyone's going to see me talking about my deep unabiding love of the Starland vocal band when I was in high school. And like, there's some heavy hitters in there. Like Charlie Pierce from Esquire and gets on this hashtag and like, it's just, it almost deconstructs the concept of guilty pleasure and kind of mm-hmm. brings it back to you. What are we all doing here? We're just listening to stuff that makes us happy. Like, yep. isn't that what we're supposed to be doing?
1: Yeah. And you know, what's awesome. cooler
0: than being cool. It's not
1: giving a shit.
2: <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> Ice That's cold. what I was going to say.
3: <laughs> no, um, Dave Grohl said something about about it. Uh, I'm forgetting. He was doing like some South by Southwest like, uh, um, speech or something. He was like, "Yeah, I don't believe in the concept of guilty pleasure. What about just pleasure?" And then he then he went on to rave about Gangnam Style. So
1: <laughs> sometimes guilt, sometimes guilt amplifies the pleasure. Hey, there you go.
2: If you know it's bad, but you still like it. For example, we have a hard rock station, Jay knows about this in Columbus, 99 7 the Blitz. It basically plays like whatever the new five finger death punch slash avenge mm-hmm. sevenfold. Song oh mixed in with like Zeppelin, Sabbath, Nirvana, Soundgarden. I flip through it every once in a while. I'll hear something I like. If so two click,
1: full testosterone.
2: Yeah. If click click mm-hmm. boom by Saliva oh, yeah. comes on, I'm cr- I'm cranking that <laughs> because that song is so bad, but I love it. It's and to me. It's, it's like it's like a. To get,
0: right?
2: it, it sounds like the downfall of humanity. Like that's the song that like will drive us to become cave dwellers again because all of our our intellect has been uh, has seeped out of our brains. Yeah. But I can't help but like love that song because it's so bad. It, it, if they uh, did
4: idiocracy now, it would be the nat- the new national anthem. It would. That or or, <laughs> or
2: bodies by drowning pool. Oh I, my god. god.
0: You could think about something like click, click, boom, like this. Um, for a while, when the Washington Capitals would play and they scored a goal, they'd play click, click, boom, because they scored. Yeah, Yay. so they play like that little snippet of the song. It's like a happy little association. So every time I hear that, I'm like, ooh, the Caps scored. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so uh-huh. like there's a whole jock gem, jam tangent we could take with guilty it's, pleasure. That's it's just whole Pavlovian, level. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, like you, you associate it
1: with score, goal. Gotta <laughs> love it
2: let's let's wrap No, let's let's wrap this up because we've done an I excellent know. job i think fleshing just, out a, a lot of this and we just crossed the click click boom line we did we <laughs> crossed the click click boom line um i don't like a lot of uh heavy new metal ish stuff uh from the 2000s but that one gets that one gets me going uh, that and the other stuff that I, I would I would say is a guilty pleasure. I probably still only because I have a, a daughter uh, is when I hear like a mysticals, like a song, like back that ass up or or something like this. So inappropriate for a child to hear that I like have to turn. I like I'm, like if we get in the car and that station is accidentally on instead of the classical station that I put on when we're in the car together. I will immediately like change the station, but if she's not in the car, it's like I go to the classic hip hop station and I'm listening to like you know, the worst hip hop You're down with OPP. <laughs> right. Like just the stuff that's like so inappropriate. Yeah. That for anybody under the age of eighteen of or 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 fifteen or whatever, I don't know where the age where the cutoff is. Uh there isn't one. I, I yeah, I know. Does anybody else uh, want to embarrass themselves with a uh, guilty pleasure, or are you over guilty pleasures? It's all context. No more click, click, booms?
0: Yeah, I think we've kind of deconstructed it, I think, pretty well. And I think all of us at this point, and, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, I think we're all in a stage of life where we're getting to the this shit doesn't matter phase. We're just, and especially in the last eighteen months, like, good God, if something makes you happy in twenty twenty one, hug that, embrace it, hold on to it, and don't let it go. Because happy is like real fleeting right now, you know. So, like, I I think they've done a good job of kind of deconstructing that. Yeah,
3: hundred percent. I mean, if if you did this, if you had this sort of roundtable, even five years ago, that it would be a very different discussion. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, even five years ago, definitely 10 years ago.
1: But you know what? If uh, Counting Blue Cars by Dishwalla really just makes you (laughs) feel something uh, in the year of our Lord 2021 uh, (laughs) with this interminable pandemic. Yeah, I'm going to listen to that song.
2: Jay loves Dishwalla.
4: I mean, that that single took me deep into the second record same i was was in for the whole ride hey
1: have you guys done an episode on it no all right well Mm -hmm. maybe it's going into the (laughs) hamper
2: you mean the hopper
1: the hopper the
2: hamper's where the dirty clothes go right well
1: it 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 is um you know comparable to dirty clothes in a sense that's (laughs) that record (laughs) throw it away don't think about it
2: (laughs) uh uh I need to oh, I need to God. thank our our roundtable here who did an excellent job, uh, bringing this topic uh, to life, fleshing out all the possibilities, and uh, leaving me out to dry uh, with my uh, honky tonk Toledo honky tonk, and uh, <laughs> Jay's still shaking oh, his head. Oh man! And Jay's I, Dave I'm
1: Matthews s- band. Yeah. I
2: can't get that vision out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> you
4: line dancing. Me line dancing. <laughs>
0: At least it wasn't the watermelon crawl.
2: Is Katie aware of this? I don't no, know. But... I might. I oh. might have to explain after getting she out of here. will no. <laughs> well, she, uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but she can hear through the wall when I'm recording. So right. I might walk out of here, and she might just be staring at me like, "You need to start explaining yourself." You might have a date for lawn dancing.
3: Yep, <laughs> that that's that's my is that one. even uh, still? I, I is that still a thing? It is. It, it is. It's just not nearly as popular as it was back then. Yeah, this I'll could have be you. a
1: start of a of a, a beautiful beginning for you. Yeah, Tim line dancing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a place in Westerville. Oh, you think so? I'm pretty sure. <laughs>
2: uh <laughs> I need to thank um, Jeremy Men, who said he did not have any guilty pleasures. Uh, that. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he's, he is above it all, uh, but was also the original suggester of this topic. And also the people who suggest other topics that we might get. I've, I've written them all down. They're in my list of future episodes that we might do as roundtables. Ian McIver and uh, Johnny Hooper and uh, Jeff Gentis. Thank you all for the suggestions. Uh, they're in our roundtable hopper for... 2022 because honestly we're all set for 2021 we got one more to go that will be selected by the uh, committee and then we have our thanksgiving episode what what we were thankful for in 2021 music we did that last year it was our covid lockdown thanksgiving special we're gonna do it again because guess what it's still covid and uh those will be our <laughs> final two roundtables of uh of 2021 So if you would like to get in on the action of actually picking our roundtables, you can go over to patreon.com and uh, become a member. You also get access to our Discord, and you get to uh, vote in all sorts of polls for albums and uh, other things. I don't know what other things there are, but there's other things. And then you get access to the Box newsletter, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. It comes every week. A couple of new reviews are New release calendar of stuff that's coming out. Very busy. It's like five albums a week of relevant things going right now. And I don't think it's going to stop for a while. Uh, And then also, if you go to digmeoutpodcast.com, that's where you go to suggest an album, drop it in the hopper. And uh, nine albums every month selected over at Patreon by our patrons. Jay's uh, mixing it up now. It's not just uh, the next random... Nine, he actually is uh curating these uh we 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 sort out the the super successful ones and we do obscure ones maybe we'll do like an all uh uh in all guilty pleasures uh nine you know we could do like uh skilo maybe throw some skilo in there (laughs) jay what do you think about
4: that i think the you put that in the hopper that it would spit it right back (laughs)
3: <laughs> so reject it all right, all right. I'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie that Skilo song is a banger
2: oh it is I, I completely Seriously. related to it's wanting the, to be a little bit beat. taller and and wanting to be a baller and wishing i had a six four Impaler.
1: A uh, rabbit and a hat with a bat
2: i don't understand that part <laughs> i don't i don't know what that means i think it's an allegory uh, i think he, i think he's, i think it's some sort of grim fairy tale going on there i'm not sure but uh I never got the explanation. I need to go to Genius and see what the lyrical analysis of that uh, of that track is. Uh, and then, uh, lastly, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Philip, Philip, yes. yes. Marissa, Tara, thank you so much for joining it's me and Jay. Was fun. Thank you. Uh, and uh, that's it for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Click Click. <laughs> Dig me out
4: <laughs> Wow, you went
3: for wow. it I'm too sexy for my shirt Too sexy for my shirt So sexy it hurts And I'm too sexy for Milan Too sexy for Milan New York and Japan